Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Menakaolam, Asher Kishanu Bemetsuta Vetivanu, La Sok Pedivre Torah, Bearevna Adonai Eloheinu, Et Divre Torateka, Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Israel, Venie Anachnu, Vedza Etza Enu, Vedza Etza E, Amka Beit Israel, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka, Venomde Torateka Lishma, Baruch Ata Adonai, Ham Lamet Torah Leamo Yisrael. Welcome to the Rumination Study for Parsha Bamibar. It is almost Shavuot, and it is crazy right now in Yerushalayim. So lots of prayers, and may tonight's rumination be for the protection and for the coming of the Mashiach. Bimheira v'amin. Amen. Yes, it's been a lot of... Uh... A fortunate rocket fire in Israel. Um, we, we both know people over there. Um, I actually had to ask someone in the group if they heard anything from uh, ASAP. Um, he recently moved, I think, to uh, Harzate, the Mount of Olives, I believe. Um, yep. Very close by. Yeah, close. Fortunately, I haven't heard any reports that the Mount of Olives has been targeted by Hamas from the Gaza Strip at all. It's been low to Ashkelon, and there's been rocket fire from uh, Lebanon into northern Israel into the Golan Heights. So all those people, you know, they they definitely need our prayers. I mean. Um, It's okay. that these things are happening because it's this rumination is about community. Everything that we're in right now, yeah, is about that. Since Rosh Chodesh Sivan, which was we're we're on the third day of Sivan now. Wow, crazy. But um, yeah, as of that day, this is where we meet at Mount Sinai as Yisrael encamped as one man so everything is about community everything is about being one being unified and baruch hashem and that's the prerequisite for the giving of the torah so <laughs> it's a good thing we're talking about this right now that's i like that you said that because i just immediately thought of acts chapter two the continuation of that narrative of redemption on that day. That's right. Um, and remember, this is all connected to Pesach. So mm -hmm. this is this is still Passion Week. You know, people call it that, um, unfortunately, in different religions. But um, Pesach and, and that whole uh, other holiday thing based off the equinox is a totally different thing. But uh, just to keep in line with resurrection first fruits um you want to talk about the giving of the ruach hakodesh the holy spirit uh that's all one big yom tov this is the biggest chunk of uh moadim on the hebrew calendar so just to 
stay in that mentality that we began in Nissan. So, yeah, that's what the counting of the Omer is all about: is the purification mm -hmm. of our souls. You know, the blemishes. Um, right. You know, the rectification of Adam Harishon. Amen. Um. I always think of Mashiach as Adam Kadmon, as the primordial man. And I believe that Shaul does point to this in his writings. Yeah, 100%. That's a beautiful way to look at it. It's definitely the easiest way because Christianity, unfortunately, has muddied up, if you will, the commentary on the kosher view of Mashiach. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, for those interested, I picked up uh, Or Hakaim, the complete set, at my local Jewish bookstore. Along with also. Uh, other commentaries, um, but this is one that I know because I studied it last year at this time. This uh, Rabbi uh, Baruch Rappaport in Israel, whose email list I've now been on for the last three years, always brings this question from the Rashi on the so Rabbi who? Uh, Baruch Rappaport. Baruch Rappaport. He resides in Israel. All right. Okay. That's, that's where he maintains his list and he disseminates the emails every week. And sometimes he gives a little extra, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this one really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to it. Um, so I'll begin by reading uh, Rubination 32. The focus of redemption is not individuals, but community. Individuals are redeemed, but individual redemption should never be seen as the good news. We are meant to be part of a redeemed community. Like Shaul says, the one new man. There's no two peoples. Acts chapter 2 is always mistakenly thought of as the birth of the so-called church. We don't see that kind of language used in that chapter. That would be erroneous to think that in the first place. It's still the same group of people. And yeah. unfortunately, the same mistake is made in Acts chapter 10. To make it about food when it's really about the inclusion of Gentiles into the one community of Israel. Yeah. And, you know, you can't stress that enough. You know, um, Hashem says in, in uh, Exodus 12, there shall be one Torah and one people. You know, one statute or Hukat or Hok decree. You know, this is Pesach we're talking about. It's it's the act of redemption. Um, Dafei Tang over at Times of Israel in his blog points out that Pesach is the redemption or rectification of speech. Meaning that the words that we speak should be those relating to redemption that bring the community together. It's interesting, and I read a kind of a blog from someone writing about what's going on in Israel right now, and he's actually 
Yeah, he had a he had a letter from a rabbi. I posted in the group yesterday on WhatsApp, and he talks about how that you know he actually thanks so much because he actually brought us together. We're one wow. mind, one accord, and standing against terrorism. See, that's all these terrorists are succeeding in doing. You know, in times of persecution, the community just simply draws closer together. We stick together. We look out for one another. Can you hear what's on? You know, and that's proof of our love for God and love for our fellow brethren. You know, it's the evidence that we're keeping his commandments, that this love resides in us. Um I mean, you can't love your fellow man without loving Hashem first, as the commandment states. Um, the message yeah. of the... Um, oh, you're about to say something? Yes, I was just going to say that uh, that was one of the main things that Wellsprings of Torah brought down. It said if you look at the Torah, you can see that the Torah begins with kindness to others and it ends with kindness to others what is that none other than hashem is clothing adam and hava and at the end hashem is burying moshe and so it was saying that the torah is all about love your neighbors you love yourself amen so Yeah, the message of the good news is often presented to individuals outside the redeemed community. This brings up an interesting point because in in Christian circles, they send missionaries throughout the whole world evangelizing even the Jewish people. When in fact, it should be the other way around. Yeah, because you got to ask the question, what is the evangelism that's happening? What is the message? What is the message you're proclaiming? Right. Exactly. I mean, if you're trying to stand on the apostolic scriptures alone, then you're advocating another religion that our master never advocated in the first place. The good, news, the good news is we can come back to Torah because Mashiach showed us how. That's the okay. good news. We can live this life because Hashem enables us. He doesn't ask us to do the impossible. He doesn't burden us. As Yochanan says in chapter 5, verse 3 of his first letter, and we know that his mitzvot are not burdensome. Amen. It's man that always places the burden, his system of do's and don'ts, which is basically the definition of a, of a religion. Wow. And this is the thing. This is what sets Judaism apart from everything else. It's a way of life. It's not religion. Because we're living the way that Hashem wants us to. Because that's how we were created. We were created to serve him. Um, I always find it interesting, you know, uh, 
with this me, me, or I, I attitude that's so prevalent in Christian circles, they say, well, what's in it for me? And that is a bit of a dangerous place to be because you don't acknowledge his kingship in your life and that you are part of a community and that in the presence of many witnesses, you are saying these things. And he, you know, Hashem's the king. He's decreed it. This is what he has said. You know, this is his revealed character. This is his revealed righteousness. This is his revealed holiness to the community that was standing at Sinai. All of them, uh, Nefesh Echad, one soul, which is um, really good because that indicates accountability to one another. Yeah, built in already. Yeah, right then and there, you, you're you're told, you know, I am Hashem, your God, who has taken you out. You know, so he brought the whole community of Israel out, even the Arab Rav. <laughs> you know, it, it just shows his kindness, you know, <laughs> how merciful he is, you know. And I think that's really amazing. Right, which is the, the cool thing about thinking about Acts 10 is this was already happening when we were being taken out of Mitzrayim. You know, so it, it's just kind of like what makes Acts 10 like this huge momentous thing that it's made out to be when it's really not this, it, it's not it's not new, basically. It's not this new revelation, you know, because Hashem was already bringing in the nations. He said, you know, whoever wants to leave, let's go. Come to the mountain. He told Moshe, you're going to bring the people out. <laughs> like right? when he stood at the office. And what does Hashem say to Moshe? Raise up your staff. Yeah. Out the water. Who gets you blamed? have your job to do. <laughs> who gets you know? blamed for the error of Rob? Like who oh, who right. does who does is like, oh, you brought these people out. Me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about that? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so amazing. Um, because it is laudable endeavor, biblical faith is often viewed as personal faith. While it is true that personal faith exhibited in personal obedience is a hallmark of the believer, it can lead some to think that redemption is all about the individual. The Torah is about community. This is what makes the Torah divine, is that it was given in the presence of an entire nation at once. And even the 70 nations were given the opportunity themselves, but unfortunately they said no. Had Israel said no, the universe would have come to an end. Right. That's from the, the last commentary. Right. And that's um, the meaning of why we say the sixth day in the Kiddush, quoting Genesis chapter two. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished the sixth day. 
says Yom Hashishi, which alludes to the sixth day, the day of the giving of the Torah, which is the sixth of Savan, which is coming up this week. <laughs> so, yeah. So th- this week, that this day that's coming up, you know, is, is super important. It literally, the universe depends on it. It's almost as if the universe is dependent on our obedience. Ooh. You know, you think about that for a second, right? That our actions affect the universe. Whether good or bad. Um, um, Which, you know, the question gets asked all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much brokenness in the world? It's like, well, who's actually being obedient? Who actually has received the Torah? Because Torah equals tikkun olam. It literally equals the rectification of the universe. And if I could just say this real quick, based off of Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum, Shlita, the Zohar states that the form of the sanctuary corresponds to the form of the work of creation thus the various different areas making up the temple courtyards and buildings correspond to the different worlds discussed in kabbalah as explained in mishkane elion by rabbi moshe luzato aka the Ramkal, translated in secrets of the future temple And this is the arrangement of the 12 tribes, the arrangement of the camps, the arrangement of the banners, and the arrangements of the families, which is made up of individuals in a communal setting. So you talk about the order of the universe is based off of the order of Yisrael, namely our obedience to Hashem. That's heavy. And when you think about the lack of obedience that has existed, the, the, the amount of brokenness that exists within Israel. And it's just like, okay, so if we're not seeing the connection there, the brokenness of the universe, because the brokenness within us, and then you just mentioned what's going on right now and how Hamas is actually helping us unify helping us fix the universe. I mean, wow. I mean, it's real easy to repay evil for evil, but Shaul says overcome evil was good. Absolutely. You know, the IDF gives civilians in the Gaza Strip every opportunity to get out of there by giving them advance warning. What army on this earth does that? But them. Right? I have not I seen any army do that. Reading that. You sent that out. I haven't yeah. I don't see any other army on this earth that does that. Man. Why? It's because it's the Torah. They're all straight out of Parsha Shoktin. Exactly. <laughs> strive, strive for peace. When you go to attack your enemy. Make overtures to peace. If he refuses, then it's okay. You can go in. 
Wow. Do what is necessary, but do not exceed the mandate that's in the Torah. See, this is where we have to be careful is, you know, there's, you know, we, the church seems to think that these are all, oh, it's burdensome, you're coming under the curse of the law and this and that, but really it's to guard you from committing some very serious mistakes, which could have serious ramifications for the community as a whole. And they have 2,000 years of what? Inquisitions, crusades, burning at the stake, ripping apart families because of the sake of some instrument made up by a Roman leader. You know, uh, even the Holocaust. I mean, goodness. <laughs> But yet, out of that, out of the ashes of the Holocaust, the state of Israel was reborn. And despite all the odds, overwhelming at times, they still are here. Why? It's because they are the apple of Hashem's eye. Thus, the pursuit that states, do not lay your hands on my anointed. Do them do my prophets no harm. That's right. And guess what? 1967. The Six Day War. I mean, you know, that's that happened on Yom Yerushalayim, which is a couple of days before Rosh Hodesh Savan. And just a couple of days before Rosh Hodesh Savan this year began the rocket fire. So, I mean, we're just lined right up. Yeah, I mean, I think Hashem's using it to get our attention. You know, it's it's really amazing when you just step back and you watch what he does. It's actually a privilege to live now, to see all these things before our very eyes, you know. Yeah. You know, it, the, the master said, and blessed are you who believe and have not seen mm. or the prophets the, the 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 patriarchs and the prophets have longed to see the days or the things that you see and have not seen them that's right i, I mean that's just so amazing and that's and it's deep too you know you know, you spend some time contemplating that. And you realize its significance, you know? Yeah, because the root of what you just said is emuna, faith. You know, um, you think about the privilege of the times, but the ramifications of that or the circumstances are, it's chaos in the world right now, you know? with all the mental, emotional, physical stress and everything that people are being put through and uh, crazy things that have happened over the past couple of years and things that are ahead of us, what's going to cut through all of that like a sharp knife 
is our emuna. This is why Yeshua says, will the son of man find emuna when he gets here? Will he find obedience? Because, I mean, how do you how do you stand through all of this? You know, all your challenges on a constant basis. Are you still going to pick up the Torah? Are you still going to pray? Are you still going to do acts of kindness? Are you still going to shine forth the light of redemption into the world? Are you still going to believe that Hashem can overturn this present darkness into his marvelous light? Because what? When we were at the bank of the seashore, I recall there was light for the Jews and darkness for the Egyptians simultaneously. That's got to be crazy. Yeah, Israel had to deal with the first three plagues, but then the next seven, they just stood back and watched. And the darkness that fell upon Egypt was was a physical darkness. Yes, tangible. <laughs> you, you could you could feel it, but you, you couldn't even see your hand before your face. That's darkness, Hoshek. Man. Which, you know, that's from the beginning. That's from creation. That was he, hovering over the face. That was the darkness that was over the water. Over the, the, the face of, yeah, the waters of the deep. The war, yeah, that one. Because we yeah. know the spirit of Hashem hovered over all of that. Yeah. Man, goodness. Just imagine the spirit of Hashem hovering over Mitzrayim. Seriously. <laughs> during that during that plague. During, I mean I mean we use the word plague, right? Yeah. But the Torah tells us that I will make my signs known to Pharaoh. Oat. Yeah. Yeah. Sign. I think the plural is O team. Otot. Otot. Okay. Defend. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of leads me into the Orkaim. Right now. Regarding the tribes, um, mm -hmm. I mean, this is why I was mentioning earlier that from last year, because I remember this when Brewer Grappaport first posed, you know, when I first started studying this. And it's real important to pay attention to the grammar of the verse, you know, where it says, Vei Deber Adonai El Moshe, Bamid Bar, Sinai. Ohel Moed Bechad Lahodesh Hashane Bashana Hashanit Letsitam Mitz Me Aretz Mitzraim Lemor. Hashem spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, the specific place. 
The Torah gives us the specific place where Hashem speaks to Moshe. In the Ohel Moed, on the and then and then the date, the the date that he speaks to him. It's interesting that this parsha is always read before Sabaoth. Right. See, on the first of the second month in the second year, this is Savan, this is the month we're in now. Oh, second month, ER. Oh, oh ER? Okay. Mm hmm. Okay, or can you address To your point, because I think you have a connection there. You don't have Savan until you have ER. Yeah. So what you're talking about is how we get to the giving of the Torah. Because that takes up the, the majority of the Omer count is ER. So the bulk of our healing, the bulk of our preparation, everything about being in place, the traveling to the mountain <laughs> happened. So we couldn't be in this place of this parsha if it wasn't for what we did in ER. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing is, um, my wife and I were just talking about that today. Lagba Omer, the incident in Israel, on Lagba Omer. We always mourn the disciples of Rabbi Akiva. The 24,000 disciples, I mean, think about that. How many died? That many. Yeah. That's the number that happens to have died in Parashat Pincus. Wow. Does Hashem get our attention or what? You know? Wow. Until Pincus picked up a javelin and said, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and Hashem performed more at the Mishkan with the Shekinah in the in the <laughs> Ohel Moed. What are you thinking? <laughs> the right, <laughs> you know. Goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you were Or Hachaim. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Orkayin addresses what appears to be a difference between the Torah's description of where Hashem spoke to Moshe and its description of when He spoke to him. This is important. Our sages of blessed memory expounded precious insights on the basis of the language. This is why grammar is so important. I cannot stress this enough. Why does the Torah cite it the way it does, word it the way it does? So this is a study concept, by the way. Yeah. Right. In other words, I'm bringing the Peshat, the surface meaning of the text, but it's going to go deeper. That is legit. Just as a as for those who are listening and watching, you know, that this is something to always take into account whenever you feel a spark or a tug at anything you read. Think, why is it written this way? So yeah. that's a beautiful tool. And told our for sharing that. I mean, 
okay, on the insights on the basis of the language of this verse, Sibumi Bar Rabah. But what remains for us to note and address is why Hashem, blessed be he, did not present the details of the verse in a consistent manner. For when he tells us of where he spoke to Moshe, he first mentions the general setting, which is the wilderness of Sinai. And only afterward mentions the specific location with, with in the wilderness of Sinai by saying in the Ohel Moed. But when he mentions when he spoke to Moshe, he first mentions the specific date by saying on the first of the second month. And only afterward mentions the more general time frame by saying in the second year. Shanit. After their exodus from the land of Egypt, this needs to be explained because one would have expected the Torah to record both where and when Hashem spoke to Moshe in the same manner. We have a verse that's similar to this. It was a Gevera Shiva, is the right. term. Okay. Related passages? Yes. Uh, exodus chapter 12. Really? Concerning the Pesach offering. Bro. <laughs> so wait, so if Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, has the same related passage as Pesach. You, you brought Pesach up earlier, and you're right to do so. And this is Gerashava. <laughs> same setting. Oh, my goodness. Okay, the Orkayim suggests an answer. It appears correct to say that, to the contrary, the verse ingenuously con uh, communicated the location and the date of Hashem's words to Moshe in a consistent manner. For although the wilderness appears to be the lar to be larger than the Ohel Moed in the, in the physical sense, the latter is really more encompassing. He's getting mystical now. He's getting to the soul. Thus, even when discussing where Hashem spoke to Moshe, the Torah begins with the less encompassing and then moves to the more encompassing. This idea that the Ohel Moed was more encompassing than the wilderness can be understood on the basis of what the sages say in Bereshit Rabbah 68, 9, an explanation of the verse in Shemot 33, 21. Behold, there is a place with me. Keep that in your mind for the moment because this is important. <laughs> in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And the word was God. <laughs> the same okay. was in the beginning with him. What does okay. the Midrash say concerning the Torah? It is the first of seven things that existed before the creation. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, behold, there is a place with me in which the Torah describes a place as being with Hashem rather than saying that Hashem is in the place. We're talking Zimsum here. Yeah. Just like this. This, this is one. It's going down. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting more intense, folks. <laughs> okay, this the sages teach conveys that the location in which the Holy One, blessed is he, is manifest, is subordinate to him. And that is Bereshit Rabbah 68.9. That's 1 Corinthians, man, where it says everything was subject to the Son, but Hashem himself. Wow. Because the place Hashem manifests himself is subordinate to him? Yes. Are you serious? Remember, okay, remember your Kabbalah, okay? Zim Sum, the contraction. He contracts himself. Right. He makes room for the conceptual, the physical space of creation. This is the place that is with him. Yeah. This is why everything is subordinate to him. This is what the Orkaim is saying. This is crazy right now. <laughs> Okay, for since Hashem transcends, see, now we're getting to transcendence, space. He transcends space, time, and matter. He remember he's without form, ain sof, limitless, the limitless nothing. This is what the four letter name points to. Right. <laughs> Which your verse you just read to us is space, time, and matter. Uh, yeah, you know, Bereshit 1 1. Okay, another one, space, time, and matter. <laughs> <laughs> Man, okay. Okay, accordingly, all places are subordinate to a place in which God encamps, i.e., where his Shekinah is more manifest. Uh, think of the vitality, and Malkut has no vitality of its own. It draws its vitality from the other Sephiro. Which is why when we count up, we descend down through the Sephiro. Giving vitality to Malkut. But Malkut is in, is subordinate to the other Sephiro. Wow. Why? Because of the Shekinah. We're in Malkut this week too. Yep. And on day 49, where, where will we be? Malkut. Sheb Malkut. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, thus when this principle is applied to the locations mentioned in our verse, it emerges that the more encompassing area is actually the Ohel Moed, where the Shekinah rested and the wilderness is a specific place that is subordinate to the ohel 
Moed. Put the arrangements of the tribe into that. Because it is a mirror for the heavenly court. The tribes are arranged like the Malachim around the Kisei Kavod. So the Kisei Kavod in the physical realm represented here. You know, like, it's like you pointed out earlier concerning the Mishkan. That is a microcosm of the macrocosm of creation. That everything inside of it is a representation of the the Mishkan that's made without hands, as the writer of Hebrews writes. You know, and it's too many believers say, oh, you know, because of the blood of Yeshua, I can go into the holy place. No, you can't go into the place that's made without hands because that's where Yeshua went. That's where he does his work on our behalf. And we being corporeal, finite beings that Hashem created, how can we go to a place that he has not intended us to go in the first place? Right. Because we are, we're occupants in a physical space of creation, while he, the infinite one, the holy one, blessed be he, is non-corporeal. You know what this makes me think about? This makes me think about two things, because last year for Pesach, I learned that uh, through the Tor Wellsprings of Torah, by the way, that's where this comes from, on Pesach, says the Holy of Holies is our mouth. Furthermore, more learning and studying this year, when you want to talk about the Holy of Holies, what's the purpose and what's the point there in the Holy of Holies? Where are you going when you go there? You're going to the Ark, to the Torah specifically. So when you really want to talk about going boldly before God into the Holy of Holies, what's coming out of your mouth and what are you coming into? Namely the Torah and you're supposed to have Torah in your mouth. It's not supposed to depart from it. So, I mean, when you're talking about this, I mean, that's what we're looking at. It's not this whole like, yeah, let's go into the Holy of Holies and get struck down like Nadav and Abib. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's going to happen if we think we're going to do that. You know, all the... Um the violent activity that's occurring on the Temple Mount, you know, in the past few weeks. Um, the Kabbalist rabbis have always said that it's not that we can't ascend Harbeit or Hamakom, it's that we understand that we are in a state of impurity and we can't go there. It's the holiest place on earth. It is where his name resides. And then you have all these Arabs acting crazy. They've lost their minds. There are some who refer to this as the Jerusalem syndrome. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. They're not themselves. They're somebody else. That's, that, that's how they describe it. I was reading this in the, yeah, in the Midrash Rabbah for Shir Hashirin. 
on chapter five that was talking about uh, I'm was I was asleep, but my heart was awake. My beloved was knocking at the door, you know, the whole thing where she didn't let him in. It was saying that uh, I've already taken off my robe. How can I become pure again? Like there's this whole chapter about that. The Midrash Rabbah literally said the land of Israel brings out the good or brings out the bad in a person, depending on the desires that are hidden and buried within their hearts. For the Zadikim, when we go home to Eretz Israel, the land itself is going to pull out our Midot. It's going to pull out our righteousness. If we are not Zadikim, and if we are Rasha's Chasbe Shalom, wicked people, and we're full of sinful and wicked desires, the land is going to pull that out of us. And you know what the Midrash Rabbah said after this? They said, and this is why the people were like, yeah, I don't want to go back because the land was like, you're idolaters. So when we were putting all the idols in the first temple and doing all the different prayers to the different gods, that's because that, that was what was hidden in our hearts. And the land was like, here, let me show yourself to you. So they're like, you know what? I've been in exile for so long now. I don't ever want to go back and have that be an issue. <laughs> And it was just kind of like, please tell me you're going to conclude this, Midrash Rabbah. And it was like, well, kind of. The, the thing that it ended up saying was you basically have to become like Abraham and you basically have to receive the Torah again. That's the only rectification. So this Jerusalem syndrome, the only way to have the proper cure for it is to be like Abraham, which is Lech Lecha, leave all your stuff, get away from idolatry, and you have to receive the Torah anew. Yeah, those are, yeah. otherwise Jerusalem syndrome is going to take us out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you take the proper steps and prepare your vessel, rather than going there in haste and winding up breaking it, possibly destroying your emunah. It will welcome you with love. Why? Because his name is there. Goodness. You know, this is what the Orkayim, I think, is driving at, is we need to prepare ourselves. Be conscious that you don't want to break your vessel. Yeah, you know, have your will subordinate to the Shekinah, yes. But don't break your vessel. That's where your Emunah and your Bittakom reside. Those are the two things holding you together, literally, in a sense. Without those two, and if you don't study Kabbalah properly, you can really shipwreck yourself on some deserted island, and that's it, man. Yeah. You, you won't be heard from again. You could stick a note in a bottle and throw it in the ocean, and nobody's going to find it, you know? Man. <laughs> I mean... <Whew. laughs> well, there was your Arizal 
should be brought to Kayleem uh, drop. <laughs> Shattering oh, of the vessels. I've you been just... studying apples from the orchard too. Yeah. About the about the uh, the priesthood. Nice. Uh, see, to make Whoa. you aware of the idea that the wilderness is less encompassing than the Ohel Moed, the verse places the statement on the first of the second month in the second year right after it discusses where Hashem spoke to Moshe. This is like con a continuation of the narrative mm -hmm. of the building of the Mishkan and its dedication because we see this narrative continuing in Baikra when we started that. Okay. Yes. But now we but now we get a little more specific now. The Torah is giving us a little more detail about what is happening. You know, because all this is after the sin of the golden calf. Yep. Right? And also the Orkaim deals with the two censuses, the one that's in Piku Day and the one that's here. And this Parsha. Mm. Another Gerashaba. Love it. Let's see, gotta find my spot. Since that phrase clearly begins with the less encompassing, the specific date, and proceeds to the more encompassing, the year, we therefore understand that the Torah's description of where Hashem spoke to Moshe, the statement in the Ohel Moed, is a description of the more encompassing location. And that is why it is placed last, after the phrase, in the wilderness, but Midbar. In keeping with the order that the Torah followed when describing when Hashem spoke to Moshe, where the second year, the more general time frame is placed after the Torah says on the first of the second month, the more specific date. Orchayim expands on the effect that Hashem's presence has on the physical characteristics of an area. You can now, you can see how immense is a place in which Hashem is more manifest. From what we find occurred in the time of Yehoshua, namely that within the two Amos and a bit, there were that were between the two poles of the Aron, the Badim. A place where the Shekinah rested. 600,000 Jews were able to stand comfortably. See Bereshit Rabbah 5.7. From this, you see that even though this area between the two poles of the Aron is relatively small and in, to the naked eye, it is, in fact, very large on account of the one who dwells there. Blessed be he. <laughs> Why? It's because of Ain Sof. He's limitless. I mean, this just expounds on this. But yet still, we need to be careful because this is not Hashem. Wow, that sounded like Lakute Torah right there. Because it was all like, 
Yeah. The Torah totally going to teach you about Hashem. Like, if you want to know Hashem, study the Torah. But here's something that's important. That's not knowing Hashem at all. Because <laughs> Hashem is utterly unknowable. But this is the closest thing that you can get to, to know Hashem, is to study the Torah. Yep. And I was just like, are you serious? Like, that is so deep. But I was just going to say, I was thinking of Matthew 7, 14 the whole time that you were talking when it says, but narrow is the path. Mm. And narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Turns out in this case, 600,000 is a few. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but and all <laughs> honestly, though, uh, I mean, that's crazy. The path being narrow. I mean, that place is subordinate to Hashem. The space between the Badim. Yeah, between the two poles. small to our physicality, the Yesh. But when it comes to Atzmus, no. It's infinite. That's why Yorkayim says, and it housed the 600,000 Jews comfortably. So, it's like it's like you take all the arrangement of the tribes around the Mishkan and put them inside the Badim, the, the two Amos, the two and a half Amos in between the Badim. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. This is some Ant-Man stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I need to fit all of this right here. It's like, okay. <laughs> Oh man, I mean, goodness, Marvel movies trying to be so holy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, that's Ain Soph is what does that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, then you have the orange Soph, the infinite light that has the, the divine light. There's no limitation, nothing. Which is it? Ain Soph, the Gematria of light? Uh-oh. What's about? To... Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness. So, the light of Hashem, the light that was manifest on Yom Echad, the first day of creation, when Hashem said, let there be light. 207, yeah. Which can be rearranged to 27, Psalm 27. The oh. Lord is my light and my salvation. <laughs> Dude. The 25th of the 25th word of the Torah is light. 25th of Kislev, 25th of the month of the darkness is Hanukkah, light. Bro. <laughs> the divine light, man. The Orient Sof. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the Orkayim also gets into the census. As I, as I pointed out earlier. Um, is this the Golgotha drop? Because if it is, you totally just need to do it. The uh, raising up the skull part. 
Oh, you saw Yosef's post in the group, huh? <laughs> yeah. I saw that word. Yeah, it reminded me of Gilgul. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Gilgulim, dude. Okay, because, you know, I was, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think it's amazing that the concept of Gilgulim totally works in the, uh, in the area of rectifying souls, like across the board. And you talk about raising up the, the, the back of the neck to the skull, like what you're literally doing, because all souls come together in the Mashiach, right? And we talk about there are 600,000 souls in Israel that go off into branches, that go off into sparks. Gilgulim deals with that concept of the branches and the sparks, you know, and so literally what you're doing is you're raising those souls back up to their original point through the concept of Gilgalim. Oh, man, the holy sparks elevating them from the Klippo. Yeah. To the Klippo of Mashiach. Right. Because he says, yeah. if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Nakash in the wilderness. Right. And the interesting thing about that is even those who looked upon the serpent, they still died because they did not keep in mind the one who commanded Moshe to put it there in the first place. Well, there goes the grace message. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> it's nothing new. I ask again, when does that word first show up in scripture? <laughs> the first door portion. <laughs> They receive the the uh, Maftir. So, I mean, just to state the obvious, based off of Torah, you can't just make a proclamation and not have anything to back it up. Yeah. Can't yeah. just say, oh, I believe, and then don't do nothing about it. That's called a snake bite that leads to death. Yep, that's exactly the thing about about the, the garden when Hasatan tempted Eve. Oh, did God really say that you shouldn't eat? It's like it's like he's saying, Oh, do you really need to believe like the Torah says you should believe? <laughs> like the master says in Yokan on seven thirty-nine, seven thirty-eight, he that believes on me. As the what says, I'll paraphrase, as the Torah says, out of his innermost being will come rivers of living water. This is not my, I've said this before in a previous episode, this is not my own personal belief system. If it were, I would tell you not to listen to me. Don't listen to a word I say. Because it is subjective. It's not objective. What objective source do you have to measure your actions against? This is why the Torah is divine. If you, the sages say, if you don't believe the Torah is divine, you're a heretic. That's the word of the sages. It, it's crazy to think. No, tour is not important. We don't need to do it. It's not it's not relevant for me. Nobody should follow it. You know, 
And it's just like, so if you don't believe in the Torah, you're a heretic. The Torah is divine. And through the Torah, creation was brought forth. Those are just a few small things. Just yeah. don't worry about it. You're just trampling all of that. <laughs> oh, boy. I would be quoting Hebrews 10 right about now. <laughs> Dude. You thought of nothing to trample underfoot the Son of God, the blood of the covenant. Oh, the Torah is the blood of the covenant. Okay. Glad we cleared that one up. You know, that such a one died without mercy in the presence of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse punishment you would endure having tasted the truth. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He the Holy One, blessed be He, who lives forever. I, nobody, that's the thing, who trembles at His word anymore? Right. There's very few, like you pointed out earlier. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few be there to find it. So many think that they're on this path, and unfortunately, they're not. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's really dangerous, you know, because you have so many false teachers out there. You know, and I think of the verse in Baikra 1914, you shall not curse to death, nor shall you place before the blind a stumbling block. Wow. You're causing so many people to stumble, and basically you're wrecking their faith on the shores of unbelief. You know the shoals. You know it's. So many of you should not desire to be teachers. You know because you think about that verse. If that verse was. Because uh drives me crazy because I was going to be a part of seminary. I, I was going to do it like I worked with the uh, the president, the chancellor of the seminary in the Dallas area. Like I used to work for him. That was my first job. And they fill you up with curriculums and curriculums and curriculums. But never once did this verse in Baikra chapter 19 get spoken get used as the uh what do they call that thing the syllabus dude seriously that shuts down a whole lot if you just think about that one verse because you have to like if you're sane on any level am i putting a stumbling block before someone with what i'm about to say am i going to cause blind people to further be led into blindness by what I'm about to say. If you say, well, yeah, I'm about to do a stumbling block thing. And then you go, okay, so let me just go put stumbling blocks out. What? 
I'm just saying, like, could know. this get taught anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's well, a spend- subject that I just touched on, you know, it's, you know, regarding teachers, you know, it's, it shows no, it, so, it shows a lack of fear, reverential fear, Adonai. you shall fear your God. You shall fear your God, Ani, Adonai. That's how it is in the Hebrew. Wow. It shows, a, it shows a lack of respect for the very words that were spoken at Sinai. So you mean to tell me the one time God's voice was audibly heard, like you can't fake this one. You can't go, well, God told me what God said. Mm-hmm. The one time God actually told us and actually did say, that's the one time that people are going to be like, eh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, dude, you say that God told you to go marry this girl and like you run with that. But God said, you know, keep the Shabbat or, you know, don't do idolatry. And you're just like, ah, I'm not sure about this. I think I just had like bad dinner or something. So I'm going to sleep it off. It's like, dude, this is crazy. Like, this is what we've been dealing with for 2000 years. Are you serious? I know it's. Uh, this is. See, this is why this, the point of this rumination is we can't act like individuals. What? Yes, individuals are redeemed, but once you are redeemed into a community, you are accountable to everyone else in that community. Because you being an individual, you can get into these delusions and you have no choice. Wow. You remember what James writes? Don't forget the kind of man you saw in the mirror and walk away and you forget and then you deceive yourself. Individual without a community. Where's the accountability? If you're saying that faith is personal, it isn't. Goodness. It can't be, you know, like what we're doing right now on this podcast. As part of a community, we're accountable to each other. We yeah. hold each other up. We help each other out. That's the other aspect of accountability, of living in a community. You know, when we get on Zoom on Friday nights for Shabbat study, and then the following day, you know, do the same thing. You know, we read the Torah, which you don't see scripture read in Christian churches. They just pick one verse and spend 45 minutes on it. You know, I I could go on. Yeah. (laughs) I think both you and I have had these experiences. We know all about it, you know? Yeah, nothing like taking your Bible to service and not opening it. I'm just saying, I'm not bitter. I mean, (laughs) I've only done that like a handful of times. I mean, I don't know. I lost count. (laughs) I mean, my first years, you know, I, I did actually read my Bible. You know, the, 
the first five years I was, you know, in, in the so-called church, you know, yeah. I did that. Well, Mazalto to you, because I mean, I read it on my own, but when I went to services, no, I mean, you get your one verse. Yeah, but that's it. You know what I used to do when he would get up there and pick his one verse, I would do Gera Shabbat. I would go to other places in the scripture. You are insane. That is legit. <laughs> I didn't mess around. You know why? Because it's my emunah that's at stake. And I know that other people are watching me. And I had more people come to me and ask questions and I would give them answers as best as I could based on my understanding at the time. Because I would ask the pastor questions and he just could not answer them. I turned out and found the answers on my own. But I would ask someone else for a confirmation. You know, I wouldn't just think on my own. You mean you weren't just an individual? <laughs> I knew I was part of a community. At, the, at least they went so that far. You know, you're part of a faith community now, Rick. You're accountable to everyone. You know, everyone's going to be watching you. But they missed the point that the Torah is the standard by which we all live by. And to say that it's done away with, you're telling me that you want me to live by your standard of righteousness? When that wow. in of itself is subjective? Just got real. <laughs> I even had a pastor tell me, Rick, you don't want to submit. And I begged the question to you. If I could just mention everything that you're just commented on right now, this is what it takes to get free from church, to get out of the klepa of Edom. You have to take your faith seriously. You have to understand who are you being subject to? Because a lot of times, there's a overwhelming and I'm talking ridiculous amount of overwhelming fear that keeps people in bondage like that. Very important point. And, and you also can't, guilt. Yeah. And you can't even ask yourself the question, am I submitted to a sham or am I submitted to so-and-so? Mm -hmm. uh, do, do I find it, you know, this is what I asked my wife when the last time we went to a church service, I was like, so did you learn anything? She's like, well, no, it was it was pretty funny. You know, the sermon was funny. And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, like, take it seriously and understand who is our master. If you do these things, I guarantee you 100 percent, you will bust out of the clipa, you know, <laughs> People, people need a way to Hashem. Like, you know, I, I think about the yeshivot that exists, the, the, the communities, the Eruvim that exist, you know, and things like that in the, the synagogues that we, we may or may not be able to attend, you know, because of the tainting of the church, so to speak, quote unquote, even though it's not really a tainting, but it's, 
it's deeper than that because there's so much spiritual abuse that has happened. So can you really blame us, right? When you, especially coming out of the church, there's so much hurt that's happened to a person Yeah. that when it's time for truth, it's time for them to, to rehabilitate, you know, the patience that it takes, the, the bedside manner, if you will, for a sick person, you know, um, who's, who's standing in the gap for that? And if it's not us, if it's not Israel, like, woe unto us. Cause we, we have got to give people that, that space, give people that opportunity. Yeah. Let them learn what it means to be subordinate to the Torah. You know, as the Orkayim explains here concerning the Shekinah, because ultimately that's what we're subordinate to. Yeah. As a, as a community, as a whole, if anything that we should come away with this first Sidra of the Parsha is our submission to him. But it's not a submission to slavery, to man's ways. It's Hashem's way. It's walking in his way. And it's a whole lot easier than what man asks us to do. Everyone can play, oh, you, you're coming under the law. Well, how many laws are you following that are man-made in our country right now or in your state or in your mm-hmm. county that or city that you live in? And they're changing them. Yes, they're constantly changing. And how are you going to keep up with all that? And you're going to sit there and tell me that the Torah is a burden? I don't even want to think about the size of the book that codifies, at least in the United States, the law. Oh, uh, it's a whole library. (laughs) I mean, compare that to a Torah scroll. I mean, it's like maybe taking my phone and holding it up to a whole row of books on a shelf. You won't even see it. Man, you know, law of man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the burden. You know, and people just, you know, we need to help people understand that. The I mean, the, the, the dichotomy, be, you know, between those two. You know, I, when I was in California, I tried to explain this to my brother, but unfortunately, I could not get a word in. He was too wow. busy. He was too busy, stuck in dogma, you know. And, you know, and I mentioned before that I just had to back away, you know. Sometimes that has to be the case. Yeah, it's, that's it. You know, it's Hashem has to do the work. You know, I probably I, I know I planted a seed at least. Hashem. I had a more productive conversation with my mother though. And we, and we don't talk about God very much, you know, <laughs> but in this case, you know, we did, you know, it just eased into it, you know, you know, and the thing is, I was careful not to go overboard. And I think that's important because when you're sitting down talking with someone, you just don't want to overwhelm them. Yeah, yeah, we got all this great Torah knowledge. You got all these commentaries and all this, you know, and it's great. It's awesome. It's fantastic. But 
master the basics. Yeah, you got to bring that that smoking mountain down to a burning bush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Each person has to have his own Sinai experience. Uh, Man, I mean, because I mean, smoking flying mountains is probably going to freak people out, you know? (laughs) Yeah, or turning the mountain upside down. Yeah. Like in a bonus era. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm gonna be running for the hills, man. <laughs> oh my mm. goodness. Um so yeah. all that came from Orhaim. I don't think we even got into really what the Orhaim said on that. No, I mean, yeah, I remember this from last year because of <laughs> Rabbi Baruch Rappaport. In kind yeah. of a way, he's my Havrusa, so Okay. Uh, Rukashim was all told. Much knockers to you. But this is something that should be memorized because he does quote uh, in this next verse, he does quote from the Rashi Mm -hmm. regarding the census. Okay. And then we have another uh, Gezerah's Shavah. We have this verse and then we have the uh, census that's taken in uh, uh, Piku Day. Right. Both numbers are identical. Nice. And the Orkaim attempts to give an answer for that. Why is that the case? Again, the Peshat level. Okay. But before I start doing that, I'll read more from the... Why you're going to cliffhanger us right now on that? Are you serious? (laughs) The reason why is because I want to use this as a pretext for this commentary. That's why I want to... Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll wait. Yeah, see, uh, most of the commandments of the Torah are in the Hebrew plural. That's important. Remember that. <laughs> Not the singular. See, this so is wait, where people no just flat out get lost. This is why English just is not up to the task. Because when you see the word you in English, you think, oh, you're talking about me, the individual. Uh-uh. Like, take, for example, the Hebrew word lakem, to you. That's plural. That's talking about the whole community of Israel. You know, whenever you see B'nai Yisrael in the Torah, and then you say, then you see uh, Le Mish Pakotam, that's plural. Families, plural. Lebet Avotam, that's plural again. Your father's house. You know, it's um, we have not been called into an individual relationship with God. We have been personally and intimately called into a relationship that is best described as a family. The Hebrew word I just read in verse 2 of the and that family is called Israel, and you see it here in this verse. Sheyu et rosh kol idat bnei Yisrael. Wow. By the way, idat has a gematria of four seventy four, which is equivalent to Arab Ooh. 
just as a side note, family is Mishpacha. Um, I'm looking at some of the permutations. Um, one of them is uh, Moshe Pei with a Chet next to it, which is Pach, which is uh, the word for like a snare, like a trap for a bird. So the, the, the trap of Moshe, which I think is interesting because Israel is like into a bird. So is the Mashiach. And so in Moshe, the family is found, right? So this all-encompassing unit of captured being brought in, you know, that is the Mishpacha. It's this unit of capture in Moshe, like Torah, because we know that represents you know, and uh, even the Targum and the etymology of Moshe brings down that that name literally means rescuer, redeemer, to be drawn from the water into a place of capture, basically, when you look at the rearrangement of Mishpacha. So as we're thinking about Mishpacha, you know, this is, this is some of the uh, implications of that. Because you're talking about the Torah in the plural context. It's a unit. Some of that verse, uh, behold the birds of the air, they neither gather or reap, I think it is. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. In Matthew. Yeah, Matthew six twenty six. Yeah, they they do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And, I mean, similar wording, you know. Yeah, because I was thinking about this and uh, Torah Wellsprings on uh, teaching of Shavuot and what we just read in Parsha Behar and Bechukotai. Everyone in the family is taken care of, you know, from the mother, the father, the son, the daughter, to even the widow, the orphan, and the poor, because on the third and the sixth year of the tithe, there's a whole year were the orphan, the widow, the poor, the Levite. They're all taken care of every single year. There's the gleanings of the field. Every single Yom Tov, if there's a poor person that you know of, you're supposed to gladden them on the festival. Make sure that they're taken care of, you know, and things like that. So when you talk about this Matthew verse, it says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Literally, Hashem takes care of everyone. So, yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that verse just popped in my head, you know, because of the uh, the wording. Yeah. Um, okay, keep going. <laughs> Let's see. 
At its most basic level, the Torah is about learning to live with others as evidence of our love for, for God. I, I pointed that out earlier. Um, okay. This one will be a little hard. This may be a difficult pill for the Messianic community to swallow. <laughs> Uh-oh. Messianics who attempt to create a new community without a connection to Israel will ultimately disappear or simply be like, quote unquote, the church, a mere replacement for the community of Israel. Unfortunately, I, this is something I see all too prevalent. Uh, in particular, Hebrew roots, because they reject the word of the sages the rabbinical commentaries and all that, you know, this stuff's part of Israel, man. I mean, you, you cannot have one without the other. Man. It just, it made no sense to me at all. Why mess too many messianics reject the words of the rabbis of, of the millennia, you know, past millenniums i mean it's just it boggles my mind i i sit there and i think about it and i and i think to myself you know they're behaving exactly like the church they're creating their own religion and that will be a difficult pill for them to swallow i have a uh bradley reichman he rightfully points out messy antics Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but that is the case. That's, I think that's a very accurate description. It's very messed up. You know, you're you're not properly identifying with Mashiach if you do not keep the connection to the land. Because we just talked about this last week, the covenant includes the land. So therefore, if you sever the land, what are you left with? Nothing. And where is the community going to reside? Man. In the land. So you, you know, just said something that made me think about what is the definition of antics? The definition is foolish, outrageous, or get this, amusing behavior. You know, like, oh, the sermon was interesting, but I didn't really learn anything. I mean, you know, this, this holiday doesn't really have any biblical grounding but it's so fun that's the definition of antics and wow yeah you could say that you know there's justification for such a statement but then again you know the rabbis decided, you know, we need to be reminded. 
And that is biblical. Why? Yeah. Because we're respecting Hashem, the fact that he spoke and gave the Torah, the very thing that we need to live by. Which we have the custom, we stay up all night. You yeah. know? Getting my coffee ready. Oh boy, I'm gonna have the Keurig all set up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm talking pre-made, just, <laughs> woo, just pour and drink. <laughs> Goodness, you know. Side note: Israel stands alone, right? Because you just said if you're going to create something new and take it away from Israel, you know, like you want to do something apart from the Torah. Well, you're going to end up not existing, right? Because um, this is in Parsha um, Balak, which Balaam gives this prophecy when he talks about the Mashiach, by the way. But talking about that Israel is alone, like there is there is no one next to Yaakov. And the sages go into many things, but specifically in Makot 24a, Rabbi Yossi or Yose Bar Hanina says, Moshe, our teacher, issued four decrees upon the Jewish people, and four prophets came and revoked them. Moshe said, and Israel dwells in safety, the fountain of Yaakov alone. Devarim 33.28, indicating the Jewish people will dwell in safety only when they reach a spiritually lofty level similar to that of Yaakov, our forefather. So, right, so Israel dwells alone, We, but we have to only do that when we reach the level of Yaakov, as Pirkei Avot says, when we should ask ourselves, when will my deeds reach the level of my forefather, right? So it seems like, oh my gosh, so we got to be Yaakov in order to dwell alone. Well, guess what? Amos, the prophet Amos, as some call him, came and revoked it. As it is stated, Lord God, cease, I beseech you. How shall Yaakov stand as he is small? What did we talk about, Zoom Zoom, right here? Fitting between the two poles, narrow is the path. That's from Amos 7.5. And immediately afterwards, it states, Adonai regretted this, it too shall not be, says Adonai, God, Amos 7, 6. This is from Makot 24a. So in other words, in order for us to dwell alone, we have to be humble. We have to be just small people. You know, why are we the smallest nation in the world? <laughs> and we're outlasting, you know, regimes, countries, generations, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, verse here, um, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and, uh, and on your gates, Devarim 11, 18 through 20, the second recitation of the Shema. Each instance of you is plural. 
These are commandments given to a community. If you are not part of one, begin building one and then learn to live within it. And always keep your little community connected to greater Israel. Amen. And, you know, in his commentary, he gets he touches on the, the census. Yes. Um, Back to the war, Hashem. Yep. Okay. Sheu et Rosh, take a census. Now, this book was given the English name Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> by the church. Goodness. But that is not the proper context for this safer. Really? I'm just kidding. Sorry, I shouldn't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> when you see the word, the Hebrew word Rosh, because what's next week's Parsha? It's Naso. You're lifting up. You're lifting up the head. Go back to Parashah uh, Taruma, where everyone had to bring the half shekel. There's another yep. year for you. Good night. Okay. Same thing. Same prince. Same. I would say you're all over the place, but you're actually not. You're bringing things together. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the lifting of the head. Notice the Mishpokotam. Oh. The Beit Avotam. You know, the Mishpar Shamot. It's about lifting the head of the heads of the tribes. In, in this part, in this part of the narrative of the Torah, the Mishkan's dedicated right? All yeah. the tribes are encircled around it. They're encamped around it. And and now it's time for a census after the sin of the golden calf. And what's interesting about these two censuses, the one in Piku Day and the one here, is that the number is identical. Why is that? Why? Why is it identical? We need to understand why Hashem commanded Moshe to conduct this census of the Jewish people. Now Rashi, a blessed man, recites the words of the Midrash, uh, B'mibah Rabbah 219, in which the sages say that when the Mishkan was inaugurated and Hashem came to rest his Shekinah among the Jewish people, he counted them again. He commanded Moshe to count them to show his love for them. And this is quoting Rashi basically word for word. The quote of Rashi ends here. This is insufficient, however, to explain the census according to the approach of Peshat. Because if that was the only reason for it, Hashem should have counted the Jewish people before the beginning of the month in the sun in the second year which is when the Shekinah rested upon the Mishkan. 
Back to Parsha Pekude. Oh my goodness. Not afterward. Wow. So wait. That's in the month of Adar. Because the end of Sefer Shemot, the end of the book of Exodus, we say we end the book of Exodus. The Shekinah comes, nobody can get in there, right? Then we go into Vayikra and we start talking about Parshashmini. Because Hashem calls out to Moshe, he goes in, da, 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 he does it seven days, and then the eighth day, the Aharon and his sons and all that, right? Okay, so the crazy part about this is what you're talking about with the senses, like the Shekinah comes down and it's like, we're not going to count the people yet, though. Because, <laughs> like, obviously the people together at that point merited the appearance of the Shekinah. But now we go way over here we go past Nissan and get into the month of ER and it's like, okay, let's count the people. This is this is after the Torah mentions the being in subjection to the Shekinah in the Ohel Moed. The all-encompassing presence. Wow. Now, like, now, now we have the count, now we have the census being taken. It always the Orkaim lays the groundwork in the first verse. Yeah. So I love now, how he does that. So now this narrative basically continues with the with this census of lifting up the head of every person of the tribes who's encamped around the Mishkan, who's in subjection to the Shekinah. Wow. Okay. He certainly should not have waited until the beginning of the second month, a month removed from the inauguration of the Mishkan. See, note. Let's see, eight. The commandment to take the census was given on the first of the second month, as the preceding verse states. Below, at the end of this segment, Orkaim suggests an approach to explain the words of Rashi. Okay, Orkayim lays the groundwork for answering this question about why Hashem commanded this census. It appears to me that we can uncover the purpose of this census by first examining this following difficulty. On the one hand, we see that according to the census that was conducted after the sin of the golden calf, which is the census recorded in Parashah Pekude Shemot 3826, the Jewish people totaled 603,550 men above the age of 20. Remember that. Above the age of 20. Which is 3,550 more than those who left Egypt. Now, that increase took place over the six months that have passed since the Jews left Egypt. 
and was achieved despite the fact that the golden calf led to a significant portion of the nation being destroyed by one of three forms of death. One is plague, see Shemot 32-35. Two, the sword of the Leviim, see Ibed uh, verses 37-38. And three, drinking the ground up dust of the calf mixed with the water. I bid verse 20, the, so, the waters of the Sota. Clearly then the Jews who turned 20 during these six months and were thus eligible to be counted outnumbered those who died during that time, even though the golden calf had led to many deaths. But in the census before us, which was conducted after another six months had passed since the second counting of the Jewish people, i.e. the census recorded in Parasha Pekudei, I see that the Jewish people did not increase by even one person from the preceding census. Here too, the total was 603,550 as stated below in verse 46. Now, it is quite a strange phenomenon that they did not increase at all. This is a really good point. For how is it possible that over this six month period, none of them turned 20 years of age and became eligible to be counted? This is especially problematic because unlike the six months between the Exodus and the sin of the golden calf during these last six months, the Jewish people did not experience any significant loss of life due to the plague or the like. It is therefore improbable that, the, that those who turned 20 during these six months were offset by those who died. For even during this first six months period during which many died because of the golden calf, those who turned, to, turned 20 outnumbered those who died. Moreover, during these last six months, the Jewish people were involved with the mitzvah of constructing the Mishkan, which was a source of great blessing for them. So if anything, there would have been fewer deaths and thus a greater increase in population during these six months. Preoccupied with the work of Hashem. Right. If you're, and if you're occupied in his work, what don't you have time for? Yeah. <laughs> This difficulty is further compounded by what the sages say in uh, Peshekita, uh, Sutresa, Persha Bamidbar. And this is the quotation. Over here in Bamidbar, when discussing the census that took place in the second year, the Torah says, below verse 46, all their countings were 603,550. And over there, when discussing the census, that was conducted after the sin of the golden calf, the verse says in Shemot 38.26, a becca for every head for the 603,550. We see then that the censuses yielded identical totals. From this, we can derive that as long as the Jewish people were involved in the work of the Mishkan, i.e., in the six months between the two censuses, not a single soul among them died. To, to quote the Peshika, Sutresa ends here. 
At first glance, these words of our sages of blessed memory appear distant from our understanding, for the sages claim that the Torah indicates that no one died during these six months. But to the contrary, when we think into this matter, we see that more people must have died during these six months than had died because of the incident of the golden calf, even though the Jewish people were not involved in the building of the Mishkan during that time. From the Exodus until the first census, which took place after the sin of the golden calf, the Jewish people increased by 3,550. Notice the two numbers. Right. 3,550. It's always said that 600,000 came out, but the Orkaim is saying they increased by 3,550. Thus, you have the number 603,550. Because the people who turned 20 during these six months outnumbered by that amount, those who died in the wake of the golden calf six months later, a second census produced the exact same total, even though a similar number of people had surely turned 20 during the preceding six months. Clearly then more people died of natural causes during the last six months than during the first six months, such that the number of deaths equaled those who had turned 20. Yeah, this is rather lengthy. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's so crazy, amazing, though, because we're always taught 600,000. Yeah. And then we're taught that 3,000 died, you know, uh, at the Golden Calf. And somehow that's connected to the giving of the Torah. It's like, you don't want that Torah. It kills 3,000 people. It's just like, uh, did you read the book? But anyway, <laughs> so we're at this this point where we're over the amount of people with the census yeah. it's robust after mm -hmm. the fact of the golden calf when it should have been diminished yep and what's interesting is that i i wonder about the number you know go to act take this to acts two right mm -hmm. you know the ruach comes down is this really the number that was present on that day? I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Because all souls were present at the giving of the Torah. Yes. Including the 3,000 who came to faith during Acts chapter 2. Yeah, such were added. That should be. <laughs> Wow. Okay. 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 <laughs> he continues. Man. However, on the basis of what has been established for us, that the entire tribe of Levi was also required to contribute half a shekelim each year for the continual communal offerings. Uh, Rabam Hilkot uh, Shekelin 1-7. It is not difficult to understand how the totals of both censuses were equal. For the census that is recorded in Parashat Pikudei, the first census, 
was conducted by collecting half shekelim to make silver sockets for the Mishkan, go back to Parashat Terumu. And it is therefore, and it therefore stands to reason that the Leviim were counted in that census, just as the Leviim were expected to contribute half a shekelim for communal offerings, so were they expected to contribute half a shekelim to help build the Mishkan. Hmm. And the note uh, refers, note 14, or Bahir. Oh my goodness. Quoting the Bahir? Yeah. See, Or Hakaim to Shemot uh, 25.2. They have to go there. Uh, see, for it's recording. Shemot 25.2? Yeah. That, that's Parashat to Ruma. Shemot 25.2. Or Hakaim. What you got? Nine entries. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. This paragraph is introduced by the conjunctive letter Vav. So why? Perhaps we can explain this by a statement attributed to our sages Shekelim 1-3, according to which a person had to pawn some of his possessions in order to contribute, uh, da, 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 where, where did it go? Oh, I went down. Sleeka. <laughs> um, in order to contribute the half shekel for the building of the tabernacle, we read in Tankuma on our portion that actually the Torah speaks here about three different kinds of contributions. Okay, so. That is going into something else. Sleeka, I got too excited. Back to the senses, though. Oh, because the individual themselves is described as Taruma. So you have the, the shekel is Taruma. But also the person, because, you know, we're not supposed to count Jews, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't ever want to just go in the room. Well, there's 10 Jews in here. It's like, no, don't do that. I counted 10 kipotes or I counted uh, 10 sidereem or something like that. Which is so crazy because as we're counting the families, which we just talked about, the commandments are in the plural. And we talk, we're talking about Taruma. We're talking about the half shekel. Well, the people themselves are considered to be Taruma to Hashem. This is why Hashem counts us because when he counts us, he doesn't see us as like, oh, I saw 10 people. It's like, I see 10 shekels. I see 10 Tarumas. But you just talked about a Becca per head, right? Mm -hmm. You just mentioned that. So it's this really... Uh, crazy perspective of when Hashem counts us he doesn't count us the way we would count you know we take a sense as a people it's like oh that was you know again like I said 10 people in the room 
to us, we don't take into account what does it mean 10 people. But when Hashem says 10 people, he's, he's taking into consideration the neshama, the abilities, the gifts, the role, the duty, the part, you know, like the, the whole entire person is really what he's taking into account. So this is what Orakim just brought down, saying that the people themselves are actually the Taruma to Hashem. Because Hashem says, take Taruma for me. You know, like my Taruma. Yeah, also the half shekel is uh, an atonement for all the heads of the tribes, and which, which is how Parashat Taruma starts out with. So Hashem is looking at us based off of atonement, the redemptive qualities, if you will, of each person. I think underneath what the Orkaim is doing here is he's telling us about the, the Shekelim on numerous occasions in this paragraph I've just been reading, because this is why the numbers are identical, because no one died because of atonement. That's my, how I'm surmising it. Wow. But without atonement, there's death. You'll die eventually. Which the wages of death is sin, right? Sin yeah, is the, the wages of death. So for Shavuot, there is no sin offering. Yep. I.e., there is no death. And then because the sages say receiving the Torah is atonement. Yeah. And what did the people say at the end of Parashah Mishpatim? That we would not say Venishma. Yeah, not say we will do. We will do all that Hashem has said. Well, so through atonement death was wiped out so that the senses will remain the same. As Shaul says in Romans, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then our master says in Yochanan 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Mashiach Yeshua whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life is to know him. And being counted by him. That's, yeah, that's how we're counted by him, is, is our knowing him. But the, the half shekel, or shekelim, as the Orkaim puts it, brings atonement and spares you death. Why? Because of the work of the Mishkan. They were occupied with this work. And when you're busy doing Hashem's work you don't have time for anything else if you know what i mean freedom from death wow because i think of galatians chapter 5 verse 1 for freedom mashiach has set us free this whole being preoccupied with 
avoda to Hashem, worshiping Hashem, studying Torah, toiling in it, you know, being given to building the temple of Hashem. This is one of the crazy things that, especially for me, just to get personal, in Christianity, I had no way out of challenges and temptations and struggles that I would always be dealing with. And I felt like, oh, I'm such a wretched man, you know, beating my chest and thinking, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Not that I'm I'm still not, right? But when you come into Torah, your, your shackles literally get broken off. Because number one, because of what you're doing, your attention is diverted. Your time and your effort and your energies are diverted so that you don't fulfill any of those desires of your, oh, walking by the spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh? Yeah, that just happened. You know, I was literally having this talk with some of the people I used to be in yeshiva with. You know, it's just like, you know, for guys struggling with lust and things like that. Dude, Torah takes care of that. It literally does. You get caught up in Torah study, sharing back and forth, you know, ruminating with you, right? You know, kind of things. If I would have had this back then, obviously I would have I would have been broken because my vessel wasn't ready yet. But man, <laughs> you know, like we were just talking about, wow, like I feel so free because I'm doing all this stuff, you know. You you're hand washing, you know, you're you're eating kosher. You know, your whole psyche changes. You transform, like, amazingly. And this is the meaning of the senses that Hashem is asking us to take. Mm -hmm. This is what Hashem counting us actually is. Everything that you just read in the Orachim, that's what it means, this total transformation of a person. So when Hashem says, I count you, this is your atonement. Your number is not going to decrease, even though there's been plague and golden calf going on. Because this is this is the reality. This is the freedom that I've given you. Freedom from death. Some of you will not taste death, as Yeshua said, you know, right? To see the son of man coming into his kingdom. Son of man, Torah, right? The son of God. Son of man is a euphemism for Mashiach. Coming into the kingdom. Malkut, when you put Torah Mashiach into Malkut, you will not taste death. Yeah, um, you bring the vitality of uh, Yesod into Malkut. Yeah. Because Malkut of itself really doesn't have any vitality, Kabbalistically. It, it derives its vitality from the other Sephiro which is the reason why we descend down through the Sephiro when we count the Omen. It's to remind us that we need to bring holiness down. We need to bring the Shekinah down. We need to welcome it. We need to make a place for it in our lives. <laughs> Making a place for it. See, there's the place again, Makom. Because that place we make for the Torah is going to be subject to Hashem, subordinate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, 
that part of the Orkheim commentary has a lot of applications. You know, practically oh, speak, in the life of the believer, you know. Book of Numbers, huh? We call it Book of Atonement. <laughs> <laughs> I I stick with the Hebrew name of Midbar because why in the wilderness? Why in the wilderness? Because that's a place of purification. You're away from worldly influence. The trappings of the world that so easily can beset you. What does the writer of Hebrews say? Lay aside the so easily, easily sets you or causes you to stumble but let us push on let us run the race I'm just throwing all kinds of shawl together you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's gumbo yeah. man kosher gumbo yeah. <laughs> you can't uh, make some gumbo that's not kosher <laughs> nice uh, I'll just say lamb stew from Oh, really good. Oh, you were prophesying. You was in the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Um, Yeah, you definitely got out of Egypt. (laughs) Hey, I'm trying. I'm not perfect either. We all make mistakes, you know. It's just owning up to them, you know. Okay, you said a beautiful statement that I just got to bring up. I literally just read this before we started. Torah Well Springs bringing down a parable. This one Rebbe, super holy guy, don't remember his name. What a shame. But he was, he said, I want you to go outside and look at what's going on. You know, he told one of his students, he's like, and come back to me and tell me what you saw. And the guy was like, okay. So he goes out, comes back in. He's like, I saw two drunk people <laughs> staggering down the street. But they made it to their destination because one drunk person said to the other drunk person, hold on to me until we get to where we're trying to go. That was the end of the story. The point and the teaching point of that is hopefully pretty obvious that we have to understand because we're such broken people. We're basically, for lack of a better term, like two drunk people, you know, or like whether you're in your community or whether you're with your habruta or your study partners and things like that, you coming together, you're like two drunk people. If you hold on to each other, you can actually succeed and make it to your destination. So to your point, none of us are perfect, right? You know, we still got things that we need to do. Yeah, we got a little drunkness going on. But if we grab on to one another, we can make it, you know. And that's what Hashem is actually calling us to do. This whole context that this story came down in was about making it to Shavuot. You know, and having a Muna, you know, in Hashem and uh, fearing Hashem even. I mean, it's a whole beautiful, it's 30 something pages of insanity, but (laughs) that was one of the things in there. And it was just like, oh yeah, imagine a drunk person, like if they don't get shot or killed or robbed, right? By themselves. But these two people, they made it, you know? And Hashem is like, yeah, you're going to make it if you, if you're unified. That's what it takes. It takes a community. Yeah. 
I think of the, I don't know where, I don't quite remember this quote from the Talmud where it precisely is, but get a haver, get wisdom. Bottom line. We all learn from each other. You know, we all hold each other up. Yeah. And I can just tell you, like, there's a lot of things you share, uh, especially tonight, among many other nights. But just just in general, whenever I'm studying with you and things like that, like, you'll you'll bring up things that I never would have thought about. You know, and and these are like, these are things that we should realize about any one of us, you know, among the family of Israel, that this is the potential we have now obviously we won't get along with everybody but that that doesn't negate the fact that we still have to be in unity you know we still have to live with one another we have yeah. to learn to get along that, that, whether you like or dislike that person strive to get along yeah for the sake of unity for the sake of heaven you know that's that would be my admonition. You know, it's and it's a good misfit. I think it's a big one. Huge. It's we could get the third temple huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um let's, uh, let's see, there's like uh, you had something else you want to share? Yeah, there's still a couple pages left. I wanted to share something from uh, Defei Tang, and this. Is oh yeah, yeah. I didn't get to read that yet, so. Yeah. Please do. Uh, bar, the secret of the zodiac signs. So what? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get that because I'm trying to avoid this thing going too long. <laughs> um, that was okay. Rubishim. In this week's Parsha, the 12 tribes of Israel camped according to the pattern of angels they saw on Savaot on Mount Sinai at the giving of the Torah. The 12 tribes of Israel correspond to the 12 zodiac signs which were set in the heaven for signs. The Okot. The gematria of the following two verses are 1,443. Yahi uh, me'or wrote. Uh, and the firmament, Hashemayim, Berkiah, Hashemayim. Okay, that's fourteen hundred forty-three, and then La Vela Yareach, Vela Mazalot. Send the moon stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Second Kings twenty three five, and this is the sign of Mashiach as it is written, Isaiah seven fourteen, which is, Laken yaten Adonai who Lakem Oat. Bruh, seriously, run to us a child is given. Mm hmm. To you, assign Lakem Oat. Okay, so there's a thing I did a couple of times. I haven't gotten to do any new episodes lately, but Mashiach Mondays. Mm -hmm. 
so what the rabbi know what the rabbis know about messiah they bring that down a whole chapter on this about the supernatural child who will be born to a virgin who was supposed to be king hezekiah so like what you're talking about is just like wait what so you're saying the tribes the mazalo the sun and moon the stars the lights and the firmament that's all about the sign that's given to us that mashiach this is just the beginning of this blog <laughs> okay okay with this background we're ready to reveal the secret of the signs what is his name? A famous riddle was asked. Ma shamo uma shembano ki teda. What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. Mishlei 30 verse 4. His name, Shamo, has a gematria of 346. We know his name is yod Vavhe, vav but how is this name for signs in the constellations? There are two New Year's in the Hebrew calendar, Rosh Hashanah and the first day of Nisan. The month of Nisan denotes redemption. This is the time when the lamb was slain for the redemption of his people, paralleling the sign of Aries. The month of Tishrei denotes judgment. This is the time when the world is judged paralleling the sign of Libra. And Libra is the scales. Right. The first two letters of yod He vav He is Yod and He, which in Gematria is 15. When 15 is squared, the result is 225, which is the Gematria of Mazel, Maznaim, i.e., the sign of Libra. The final two letters of Yodhe, Vavhe, is Vav and He, which in Gematria is 11. When 11 is squared, the result is 121, which is the Gematria of Mazel Tale, i.e., the sign of Aries. The sum of the two signs in Gematria is 346, which is exactly the Gematria of his name, Shamo, as follows. <laughs> Mazo. So what was Libra again? Slika. Mazo Mazanim. Okay. Me'oz Naim. That last word, Mazel. Okay, because Libra is the zodiac for Tishrei. Okay, the scales. Got it. Okay. Then Aries is Talei and Shemo, 346. Which, just a side note, those correspond to the tribes of the Dumashiaks. <laughs> the Libra is to Ephraim and the Aries is to Yehuda. 
So you're talking about the two Mashiachs. Mm. Yeah, this is the answer to the first question. What is his name? Mashimo. Okay. What is his son's name? The second half of the verse. Right. The gematria of the name of his son, Shem Bano, is 398, which is exactly the gematria of Ze Yeshua. At the simplest level. Another level, the gematria of the two phrases is 744, Shemot 346, Shem Bano 398, 744, is exactly the gematria of Mashiach Yeshua, as well as the word became flesh. Mashiach Yeshua 744, Vahi Hadavar Basar. 744, that is Yochanan 114. The word is Torah, and 744 is the 611th composite number, where 611 is the gematria of Torah. And what is 7 plus 4 plus 4? 744? That is... 15. Back to the Yod and Hey. <laughs> Which is Aries. Nice. At a deeper level, since his name involves two beginnings of the year, i.e., Rosh Hashanah and Nisan, in which two months. Two of the three holidays fall. It follows that the third holiday, i.e., Savaot, becomes the key to unlock the secret of the name of his son. These three holidays are called three lakes, Shalosh Regalim, Exodus 23:14. And Savaot is third leg between the two legs of Pesach and Rosh Hashanah. At the mystical level, Sabaot is the secret of Yesod, the third leg that impregnates Malkut and is symbolized by the children of Israel. Sabaot corresponds to the zodiac sign of Gemini. At the mystical level, the twin is the union of Yesod and Malkut on Sabaot. As I was pointing out earlier, Malkut derives its vitality from Yesod. Wow. And you get twins. <laughs> the sign that juxtaposes Gemini is Sagittarian. Their gematria is 1451. The sign for Gemini, Mazo uh, Tomim, is 574. And then for Sagittarian, it's Mazo uh, Kasat, 877, for a total of 1451. Now, 1451 is the 231st prime number where 231 is the secret of the 231 gates according to Sefer Yetzirah by which one enters into the kingdom. 231 is the gematria of foundation of the world, Yesod HaOlam, i.e. the foundation stone of the house. 
Evan Shetiyah. Now the foundation stone was laid on the 24th of the ninth month, according to prophet Haggai, Haggai 2.18, which day was immediately followed by the first day of Hanukkah, i.e. the 25th of Kislev, the same day when Mashiach Yeshua was conceived. The zodiac sign of Kislev is Sagittarian. The bow is the sign of the covenant with Noach, whereas the arrow symbolizes the seed that shoots from Yesod, the foundation or the third leg, also known as the Brit, i.e. the covenant. It follows that this seed crystallizes in the form of Torah on Sava'od in the third month to the sign of Gemini. The midpoint number of 1,451 is 726, which is, which is exactly the gematria of Shem Yeshua, the name of his son, as it were. Now, if the son was conceived on the 25th day of Kislev and born on the first day of Tishrei, there are exactly 271 days of pregnancy as follows, where 271 is the exact gematria of pregnancy. Hey, Ra'on. For this is the quintessential pregnancy of the foundation of the world and the light of the world. So, Savan. Gemini, light of the world, Torah, during the brightest time of the year, as we go into the longer daylight hours, the light of the world, Hanukkah, during the darkest time of the world, where the nighttime is at its greatest, we have the rededication of the temple, namely through the menorah, which is called the light of the world. And Lakute Torah just this week said that the Torah is also known as the temple, i.e., the light of the world is the Torah, the light of the world is the temple, and this is Shavuot and Hanukkah. And you're bringing this up as Mashiach. <laughs> Yeshua, to be particular, who says, I'm the light of the world, who also says, tear down this temple. Three days, I will build it again. The three. <laughs> and you go back to Exodus 19 with that, where he tells Moshe, and on the third day, I will descend on the mount. That is Yesod descending into Malkut, the vitality, the seed, the like he's describing here. See, the gematria of Sagittarian and Aries is 998, which is the exact gematria of name of his son. If the Sophit Mem is counted as both 40 and 600 as follows, Name of his son, Shemo Bano, 998, sign of Sagittarian Mazel Kasat, Mazel Tele, 
Hashti Veha Erev Brit Shalom Rofe Kole Amo Yisrael. All of those equal 998. There are exactly 160 days from the 24th of Kislev until the sixth day of Sivan, as follows, where 160 is the gematria of the stone that was rejected, Evan Maesu. Habonim. Evan Maesu Habonim. Tehillim 118. 22, alluding to the foundation stone laid on the 24th of Kislev was rejected on the 14th of Nisan to the sign of Aries. Oh my goodness. All out clinic. <laughs> yeah, this guy's blogs are amazing. I mean. Yeah. Six day I love how you're just like reading just straight from the beginning and it's just like boom, boom, boom. Just get one after the other, man. And it, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper, you know? Yeah. Six day of Savan is Savaot when Torah was given and Torah is the word that comes out of the mouth of God and Mashiach is Torah in the flesh. The gematria of Mashiach came out of the mouth of Hashem is Mashiach Motze Motze Fi Adonai is 611. Really? Exactly. Exactly the gematria of Torah. Torah is Mashiach coming out of the mouth of Hashem. Okay. What, is, what does the Yeshua say in Yochanan? The words that I speak are not my own, but of him who sent me. Wow. There's the mystical. <laughs> this is why Yochanan's gospel is so mystical. I mean, why it's so misinterpreted. Torah became flesh. Torah lavush abasar. In is 1450 adding one as kolel renders the gematria is 1451 which is exactly the gematria of sagittarian and gemini as noted above the zodiac sign that connects sagittarian and gemini is the aries corresponding to the month of redemption their gematria is 1572 the sign of gemini Mazo Tomim, 574, Mazo Kashat, 877, Mazo Tale, 121, for a total of 1,572. The average number of the three zodiac signs is 524, which is exactly the gematria of Yeshua, Son of God, Yeshua ben Elohim. And that's it for that. Simply amazing. I don't know. Just 
Oh. You have to just stand oh. in awe of such things. I mean. Yeah, because so much comes together in in Mashiach, you know, and we, I think we know that, especially those of us who've come out of Christianity. I mean, Yeshua is everything, all of everything's in him, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, but like literally, <laughs> you know, to the name, to the Torah, to the light of the world. And but most Christians, man, they, they don't want to get mystical because they think it's, you have this bad stereotype of Kabbalah, you know, and they don't realize that there is just so much more yeah. to learn. You know, I had this discussion with my brother and I tried to tell him that, you know, you can't be simplistic with your Emunah. If you really, truly want to be like Mashiach, then you have to study. You have to search the scriptures for yourself. <laughs> You have to find him for yourself. That's what I was going to mention about the Tomim, the twins, because Yaakov is called an Ishtam, like a man of a man of truth, a, a complete man. And oh my goodness, I don't remember the Gematria, but uh, Rabbi Trugman Shlita was bringing this down this week about that Ishtam what was that Gematria oh I don't remember okay so fail on that part but the whole thing about being the Ishtam and the twins and Yaakov Yaakov is considered to be a twin right twin to Esav but you have this idea that it's Yaakov Yisrael right and that all of Yisrael is Yisrael like Yaakov's sons who are birthed into the tribes and all that right so you have our forefather we brought this up earlier actually in one of the comments that it's Yisrael being Yaakov the Israel dwells alone we can only dwell alone when we reach the level of Yaakov so understanding this idea of how it's Israel and how it's Mashiach you know, we're twins. Uh, that You know what? That reminds me of another blog from Tefei uh, here where he talks about how Yaakov and Esau are the two sides of the tree of life. Yeah. So that would make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Esau's not entirely, you know, Rasha. There is some good in him. Mm -hmm. meaning that meaning that there are some well-meaning you know christians out there who are sincere you know yeah take you and me for example you know we were sincere 100 our desire for truth and hashem planted that desire in us and now we find ourselves here today exploring the deeper concepts or consciousness of mashiach what it is to be him right and that's you available know, so, to all mankind yeah exactly you know he's uh prepared us for you know up to this point you know 
that our understanding would increase, but more importantly, that we would continue to live it out so that others would see, which is the best way to do it, by the way, because it's a lot better than trying to shove it down somebody's throat, you know, because <laughs> that right. just never works, you know. It, it just doesn't. Really doesn't. People get defensive, you know, because they think, you know, they feel so justified in their belief system. You know, but yep. the minute someone walks along and presents them with something they've never heard from, then usually the first thing that such a lay person does is they go run into their pastor and say, hey, you know, this person said this and that, you know, and so, you know, well, what should I do? How should I handle it? You know, and, and you know, in the in typical pastor fashion, they default to their seminary um learning you know which does not compute <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, so, yeah All right. well anything you want to say before we index just remember that you are brought into a community and there is only one community and that is Israel and there's the Torah and then there's Hashem and all three of those are part of the covenant live in the covenant I mean Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betochenu Baruch Ata Adonai Notain HaTorah. Amen. It be the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that everyone has a bracha of a beautiful Shavuot. May you receive the Torah anew. May the deeper and richer revelations of the Torah being revealed and the great revelation bring impact, true transformation and may it be that we see the building of the Beit HaMikdash being head of the Amenu. Amen. Amen.